Then I remember, like maybe six months into it, I tried to open the door in Uni Lodge, and the door was locked out, and it was like electronic, like one of those hotel rooms, electronically locked. So that's when life changed. From uh, being this rich university student, I was technically quote unquote uh, homeless because I didn't know anyone. When I mean anyone, meaning I really didn't know anyone in Australia. This is Property Invest Story, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're chatting with Zaki Amir, founder of wealth creation mentoring program Dream Design Property, a self made millionaire with over 15 properties in his portfolio. We'll follow his inspiring journey as he goes from homelessness to working $16 an hour, then creating a prosperous life for himself. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Amir grew up in Sri Lanka from a privileged Middle Eastern background with a very interesting childhood. My background is uh, from, from the Arab world so I've got a the Middle Eastern um, heritage in me. Uh, my parents were born in, in Sri Lanka, which was in South Asia. Um, I, was, I was born uh, with an elder brother and a younger sister. And fortunately, I, I guess for my, for my parents and my grandparents who worked very hard in business, they actually ran uh, a, a successful shoe business. Uh, I was fortunate to be uh, in, in a private school in a somewhat, I guess, developing country and uh, had a very fortunate upbringing between having drivers and maids to look after us for the first 17 years uh, of my life, which was always uh, very easy and exciting to be a, the spoiled person that never had to do much. Uh, but just uh, run around chasing girls sort of thing was most of my hobby. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I recall of my childhood. And I really didn't like school. I mean, we, we did, my, my dad did pay a lot of money to put us into a private school. So all my neighbors were either the president's kids and or the politician's kids or someone was a successful businessman's children. So... In a way, that was good. Uh, you know, many stories or, or a majority of stories, I guess, come from broke to rich. Uh, but I guess my story is a bit different because I was born into a somewhat wealthy family and uh, went to nothing when, when I moved to Australia when I was uh, around 17 years old to do, my, to do my studies because that's what most kids did after their private schooling. Majority would go to like London or I guess the state. Instead... Choosing to move to Australia, he made Western Sydney his home somewhat blindly. And I just uh, picked Australia and because I knew nothing about the world as I was spoiled. And when you're spoiled, you have a very narrow-minded mind, a world, a view of the world, being a spoiled kid, I'd say. And I was actually going to go to TAFE in Mount Druitt and I got accepted in Mount Druitt. And, and don't forget, I was living in the top 1% uh, of I guess one of the of, of the countries or the islands and uh, Mount Druid to me sounded like a mountain and on the map back then in 98 you didn't really have Google Maps and it sounded like it was near Blue Mountains. 
we didn't really have the internet in 98. I think it was just starting off the internet, if I remember, especially in Sri Lanka. And uh, because uh, from what map I could find, maybe they posted the map to me. It was near the Blue Mountains, and I, I recall Blue Mountains being pretty. And so I thought Mount Druid will be as pretty. And uh, fortunately, I, unfortunately, but I didn't end up going to Mount Druid Tafe. Accepted into several universities in Australia despite failing school in his home country, Amir didn't believe he deserved the accolade. I didn't like school or the traditional form of schooling. And uh, I, I spent most of my time chasing girls and then uh, I would just uh, ask people for the answers. And when you think about it, you think that was a wrong thing. But when I look back into investing or business, I actually call that leverage. Uh, we always say, we always say take advice or be mentored by people that have gone ahead of you. So what I do in school is I look at the nerds or the people that passed and did successfully getting A pluses and I'd actually ask them, well, what are the answers to this one day before the exam? Maybe people are in university now or in school who listen to this. Yeah, it, it's a tough choice, you know, even if you're in university, even if you're doing your master's now, like you think, uh, what do I need to do? And uh, what do I, what should I do? Sometimes, yeah, you, you get molded into, well, this is how you're meant to be. And, and I actually spent a lot of time thinking I was a failure. And the funny thing is my dad would uh, say to me, what's wrong with you? You know, I'm spending all this money. But he himself was a, was a businessman and he never went to school or, literally, or didn't, well, did exactly what I did, which was fail school uh, most of the years. But I guess because society tells you you need to be this way. For him, studying abroad at Sydney University was short-lived. His father informed him that the business was struggling and as a result, he had to abruptly withdraw from his studies. And what happened was six months into my university uh, studies in Sydney, he rings, my dad rings me up and says, something's happened in the business, uh, we've borrowed money and I can't pay it back, etc. and you need to come back home. And I don't know what happened I, to this date, I don't know what happened. I think I was really angry. My, my elder brother was overseas. Uh, he was studying too, so he was on international fees, and he got to remain. And then I was like, "Well, why am I the one pick?" Usually, if you're the middle kid, I middle kid, I think you get picked the most on both sides. <laughs> because my sister was spoiled, my brother was looked after, but then I always ended up being the one that was wrong, sort of thing. And he, he said, "Simply come back," and and I, I refused. And uh, and then he'd make these phone calls and say, you need to come back or I can't pay. And then I remember like maybe six months into it, I tried to open the door in Uni Lodge and the door was locked out and it was like electronic, like one of those hotel rooms, electronically locked. So that's when life changed from uh, being this rich university student. I was technically quote unquote uh, homeless because I didn't know anyone. When I mean anyone, meaning I really didn't know anyone in Australia. I had no, I had no family um, over there. And you'd think 17 years, you were not a poor student or a poor family where you'd survive the hard way. You've been spoiled completely for 17 years. And now you're like faced with, what do I do now? Finding himself with no one to turn to and nowhere to live, Amir had to make some quick survival choices. He transferred to Western Sydney University and sought out employment opportunities to support himself. That's the success mentality, um, which is you've got to find a way uh, and you have to. And, and I guess here's the other thing. When you're pushed into corners, sometimes people make big mistakes. 
where they find a way, but they may not find the way the right way. They may do something illegal. They may do something unethical. They may do something against somebody. And fortunately, I, I didn't make those decisions. And I moved from uh, Broadway Sydney University to equivalent to MacArthur Campbelltown. And um, coming from, I, how would I say, I was brought up into the equivalent of war clues in the Sydney eastern suburbs. And, and so that's what I moved to. And was it hard? 100% it was hard. I remember. Um, and so, yeah, so Sydney Uni, I couldn't afford um, anymore. And so the reason I moved to MacArthur Campbelltown um, is because there was MacArthur or uni, it's called West, it's called Western Sydney University now. Um, they were offering classes at night, and I had to find a way to work. And remembering this, I've never worked in my life. My dad was in business, but all I did, my job was really just having fun for 17 years. I've never worked in a job, and it's interesting because um, you know you go into business, or so you want to build a property portfolio because you want to create financial freedom and have a you know, secondary income and all of that. So when I look back, I, I relate to all this as to why I built the property portfolio is that I needed a job. Adversity made him appreciate living in such a fortunate country as Australia where support and employment are abundant. Many people say, uh, Oh, I want to get out of my job and, you know, I'm sick of my job and I want to build a property portfolio, never to go back to a job. But sometimes you just got to be happy and grateful that you even have a job. Uh, so I, I took a job because I needed a job to eat. And I and when I look back into Australia, I think when I look at it, like I travel around the world, I go, wow, we're, we are in a very fortunate country. Um, and, and sometimes we take that for granted. Huge, very big time because we have government support systems, we have our family support system, just to at least, I guess, have your food and your basic necessities. Not that you're going to drive a Lamborghini, and that's why you need to build a property portfolio, but you at least have necessities. And I, and I needed a job, so I, start, I, I started looking for jobs, and I remember, um, it's in, it's in, I remember quoting this in my book, that, uh, that I was living in a granny flat, not knowing I would be building granny flats. I never even understood what a granny flat was back then. It was a weird name. Uh, and the lady in the front of the house said, you know, why don't you work in a fruit shop? And, and I think this is where my upbringing helped because I never knew what it was to work in a fruit shop. I never looked at people that worked in a fruit shop. And so it was an insult to me. So as much as I was a spoiled kid, it was also a lesson to, to self-worth in a way to say, well, what am I worth? So I'm going, I'm not worth working in a fruit shop. If I'm going to work, I'm going to go into a into an office or something, you know, mm. something what quote unquote respectable yep. to yourself, if that would make sense. Yeah. So, so my first job was at AMP and uh, I was a data entry operator earning $16 an hour. I had one shirt, one tie uh, that I had bought from, from Sri Lanka and, uh, Five days a week, three years in a row, I, I worked in that job and did university in a side. And three years of university, I failed because I never had the time to study. And once again, I was never an academic to like I never could pass. It was just not my thing. Um, even to date, if I had even to get real estate licenses, I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go and do a course, you know, sit in a room. <laughs> it was just not me. Can I just and that's still what I do. I go, can you do that? And you get the license and I'll pay you for it. 
<laughs> I'm loving this. It still comes to leverage and I guess sticking to what you love because people just get forced into doing what other people are telling them to do or society. And me rebelling, I guess it's called me being a rebel uh, and building a prop. If you're going to build a successful prop- property portfolio and you, you I, I can't remember the stats, but if you own more than four or five properties, you, you know, you're in the minority. And if you're going to be in the minority, you're going to have to rebel a lot because uh, there are a lot of people and a lot of circumstances, a lot of things that are going to happen to you that you're going to have to rebel and say fight against it. After failing university three years in a row, Amir was told that if he didn't pass the next semester that his visa would be cancelled. He found himself once again pushed into a corner and had his sink or swim moment. I eventually graduated from school. I mean, I did graduate. That's the only reason I did get accepted to university. Uh, is that right at the end, immigration was saying, because I failed university three years ago, I mean, three years in a row, they basically said, you're failing university and you need to go up go back. If you fail the next semester, your visa is getting cancelled and you're going back uh, back to Sri Lanka. And I had, quote-unquote, given up home because I was so angry about what happened that I was, like, left stranded. Home was unacceptable, the equivalent of going back to family, let's say. So I made myself, in a way, I abandoned myself or adopted myself to a new country. And it's kind of like I made myself a refugee because I said that country doesn't exist Although that country was like a, you know, five star, six star life. Um, so I created, it's like I created my own abandonment of saying, well, I'm going to adopt myself and be a refugee in a new country. And, and what I did was once again, when you're pushed into the corner, which is immigration now saying you're going to leave Australia, I found a way to pass. And sometimes we need that. We need to be pushed so much into a corner where we go, okay, this is your maximum pressure point. Then you're going to get off your bum and do something. And, and everyone has these different pressure points. But for me, clearly my pressure point, I could hi- clearly I could handle a lot of uh, tolerance uh, because it took someone saying, well, I'm kicking you out of the country to do something. <laughs> Whereas many... Many would say, oh, my father or mother said I need to pass my university exams. So I locked myself in the room and I passed my uni exams. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I did. I did pass uni because it was the only way I was going to stay in Australia. And then fortunately, I did do that and I did get my permanent residency. And Three years later, he received his citizenship. So I did work in the banking center between AMP, Macquarie Bank and St. George and Westpac for about 15 years of corporate life. And do, did I did I not like it? Yeah, it was hard getting up, you know, 9 a.m. And think about it. I'm an entrepreneur. I never go to university. I uh, hate sitting in, an, uh, sitting in one place. I did 15 years of that. And, and that taught me discipline um, that many try to shortcut. And it all comes back to even to building a property portfolio. They're going... Even my clients or even my even myself, sometimes you buy a property and go, oh, well, that didn't work or that's not right or let me sell the property. It's like you're judging results too quickly. And I look at, and I'm still learning and I go, I had to do 15 years of a full-time job um, just to even buy my first property. Like uh, that's how long it took me um, because I was on my own. And even though I was working in a, and it, it's funny when it comes to mentors, even though I worked in a bank, to this date, other than myself teaching other people, I never had one person in a bank, and I worked for major banks, ever come to me, ever tell, explain to me how property worked. 
and and I say, and I say, and, and I say this to my staff sometimes who have portfolios now. I go, don't ever think that the person you're talking to knows everything about real estate because I never did, and I worked in a bank. And uh, and the, the the way I guess I got into real estate is because I was always looking, meaning I was always looking to do something to get ahead or do something different. I used to sell, I, I used to sell sh- my dad's shoes. I remember when eBay was first formed. Uh, I don't know when eBay, I can't remember, maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I used to sell, probably before, I used to sell my dad's shoes from Sri Lanka. They call it drop shipping now, but I came up with this idea of I'll advertise my dad's shoes, take the, he'd send me the pictures of my sister would. I'd advertise them online for whatever, $100 or something. And then when the order comes through, I'll tell my sister to post or FedEx it or DHL it from Sri Lanka directly to the customer. And I was doing this. Um, just to just to do something, just to get ahead. I mean, just to do something different because there's always there's always choices. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Amir's journey on how he rekindled his relationship with his parents. I think it took me, I'd say, about seven, eight years. I mean, there was one part when I was broke because don't forget, my family support stopped between, uh, since, let's put it this way, since I was eighteen, I haven't had a dollar. Or not had, I could, but I haven't taken, let's say, from anybody uh, since the age of 18. Yeah, put it this way, I've never taken a dollar from anybody but what I've created myself. How negative motivation can be more powerful than positive motivation. The anger in me forced me to do things that created success for myself and probably over a thousand clients I have now and, and for my staff. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Podcast listeners, if you're finding this podcast super informative, then guess what? I'm giving you an exclusive free case study from property investors like this one just for listening. These case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific strategies and numbers of their portfolio. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. It took a mere seven to eight years to rekindle the relationship between him and his parents in Sri Lanka. Don't forget, my family support stopped between, uh, since, put it this way, since I was 18, I haven't had a dollar, or not had, I could, but I haven't taken, let's say, from anybody uh, since the age of 18. Yeah, put it this way, I've never taken a dollar from anybody but what I've created myself. It's phenomenal. That is that is phenomenal. You know, they say negative uh, negative motivation can be more powerful than positive motivation. Maybe the anger in me forced me to do things that created success for myself and probably over a thousand clients I have now and, and for my staff. When I go, I mean, I don't really even go to Sri Lanka. When I go, I don't even connect to anybody because I'm so far mentally, I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm just saying I'm just so far in my head different that I can't relate to anyone I went to school with. Despite having been surrounded by property in his early years, no one had taught Amir that real estate could make money until one day he visited an investment group. It happened in around 2007. I mean, looking back, that was the time of the financial crisis, but it did happen during then. Um, I was 
approached. There was a, a, a oh, that's right. I was selling. I was doing uh, network marketing. So I was selling Amway eSpring water purification filters. I was door knocking on that. Um, and then one of my clients on the side or customers who bought it said that she had gone into it. She had gone to an investing group, and that I should come check it out because she knew and she was working at the bank and and she was she knew I was always looking for do something. And I went to this group. There was about ten people, and back then near 10 years ago then one of the guys who was from bangladesh he was an international student he had he had been an international student he stood up and said um i own 25 properties and to me i didn't even know what property does i know my parents have property but i knew, never even knew it's only been 10 years 10, let's just put it this way 12 years ago i didn't know that real estate makes money hmm. that's how bad it was okay okay <laughs> Because sometimes, even though you, it's all it's all surrounded. Until someone takes the time to explain it to you, you sometimes don't just get it. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's what you don't know is what you don't know. Yeah, and so I just didn't know that. So he stood up and he said he owns twenty five properties, and I go, okay, well that's. And they were talking about money, and I ca- I cared about that, and he cared about the property, but I cared about money, and he was talking about his the million and whatever, and I go, well, you don't really. I, I speak back better English and he was an international student and and I was like, well, it, it was just me going, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. That was just the attitude. And I looked into it and I went and spoke to the guy and I said, what do I need to do? And don't forget I'm broke. Like, I'm, I, yeah, I'm working in a job, but I also borrowed money from my university and, and whatever. So I never really had savings. And he, And back then, he said, uh, you, you need about $25,000, $30,000 to buy your first property. And I go, okay. And then I went to the bank because I worked in, the, worked in banks. So, and I said, I need to get a loan. And getting a loan for me, and here's the other thing about people having the fear of debt. Because I've been in debt, because I've been broke, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, So it never feared me. So when, I, when he said, I need $25,000, $30,000, I went to the bank and said, well, I need $25,000, $30,000 um, to come up. And back then, fortunately, they were close to 100% lens um, um, with the banks. And because I was also a staff of that, the rates were good and all of that. And, and getting, a personal, getting a personal loan or a loan or whatever wasn't an issue, but it also wasn't an issue. And to this date is because my credit file was always clean. And, and it's so important to have that because someone's credit file tells you what you what you do with other people's money it's not what you do with your money it's what you do with other people's money and as you know the amount of people that have defaults because they never even paid their phone bill on time and i'm going why would i even personally if I, why would i lend you money if you can't even pay your 100 dollar phone bill on time so so the reason the banks were always okay to give me money is because i had borrowed by even t- 10 years ago, I borrowed so much money, credit cards, personal, whatever, but I always paid it on time. Um, and that shows to a bank and same as, as an investor that, hey, if someone has the ability to pay and always respect that, well, they're going to do the right thing if I give them a bit more money. And that's really what lending is. It's, it's, your, it's your risk profile. And so that's how I started. I took a loan. Uh, I bought my first unit. Uh, and I, I took the advice. That, and here's the other thing. I was open to learning. See, I saw an opportunity. It's not like that guy came and approached me and said, hey, would you like to build a property portfolio? I looked at him and I said, well, you have 25 properties or whatever. Let me learn from you. So I went to him. By asking relevant questions and learning from a successful property investor, 
he eventually purchased his first unit. If you can find the ability just to be open and learn from other people. And so I went to him and I said, what do you do? And, where do you? and I, I just simply asked simple questions. Where did you buy it? And how much did you pay? And who should I talk to? And that's all I needed to know. And I did exactly the same thing. So for my first apartment back then, 10 years ago, was around, uh, I think I can't remember, maybe about $145,000. It was a two-bedroom apartment in Karama, which is in Fairfield, in Fairfield, near Fairfield in Sydney, southwest. Uh, well, into the western suburbs, I guess. And it was a two-bedroom apartment. Did I know about property? No. Did I know about valuations? Was it worth it? No. I simply took the advice of somebody else because he was successful. And he was he was not... I guess, how would I say, faking it? You know, there's a lot of people that talk crap, I guess, or fake things and make things up. I asked enough questions to know, hey, this guy knew what he was doing and I could trust this person, sort of thing. And I bought my first unit and that's where I started. Amir's worst investment moment was when he made the decision to buy some regional properties. My last two properties of the original 10 um, were, were my worst, uh, which is what I don't do for my clients never have is to buy regional property and and my two properties uh, were in an area called Tolland within the Wagga Wagga council and I bought two houses three bedroom houses for a hundred thousand dollars and did I make a mistake yes did I this is where I guess sometimes I was too risky because I trusted the people that I was taking the advice from and I simply said, well, $100,000, three-bedroom house, 600-square-meter block of land, um, equivalent probably even in the western suburbs of Sydney now, the cheapest one would probably be 600000 And I bought it for 100000 nearly eight years, or probably eight or seven years ago. And those two properties have been vacant for two years now. And I can't find a tenant. And I cannot also even sell the property except if I sell it for below than what I purchased eight years ago. Uh, so is it still costing me? It's still costing me today. Should I cut my losses and sell it for below 100000 I guess maybe it's my way of not accepting my mistake. <laughs> so I'm holding on to it. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just stubborn. Uh, so yeah, look, will it go up in price? I don't think so, but who, no one can predict. But yeah, that is definitely a dead loss. And what's my what's my learning out of that? My learning out of that is, should I have taken the risk? Yeah, well, look, the biggest risk is not taking a risk. Should I have asked more questions? Well, in that time, um, the market was doing well in that area. So I did do my, you know, RP data research and comparable sales and why didn't it work? Well, sometimes, you know, some things don't work in life and you're just going to have to accept it and move on. His aha moment came when he found out the importance of maintaining your risk profile with a variety of banks and the importance of not over-leveraging yourself. I bought an apartment in the, in the entrance north, which is not regional, but definitely not metropolitan. Uh, but it's in a growing area of, of, say, Central Coast in New South Wales or close to Sydney. And I, uh, if I remember the, the numbers, I think I bought it for around 200000 It was a two-bedroom, brand-new apartment. Um, that The reason was, once again, looking back at 2007, after the GFC, the bank started clamping down on high-risk investors or developers. And I, I do believe it was one of the major banks that had gone to the developer who was owning a lot of stock of his own and said, you need to cut them down to reduce your LVR with the bank. And 
I bought that for 200 and within six months that was worth 240 and I didn't do anything to it because it was already a brand new apartment. And why was that good? Because I didn't do anything. And how did I get in? It's because there was a group of, if I recall, 20 investors that went in and bought individually. And so we got a great deal from the from the developers to get that in. So, so this is where looking at the Sydney, Melbourne market, since we've had a great run over the last, say, four years, and the market's starting to adjust, is it going to decline? Possibly. Will there be distressed deals coming out? I, I do believe so. And and yeah, this is, I guess, the time to look out. And, and the ones that are going to get caught out are the ones who haven't looked after themselves or planned out themselves where they don't over leverage or they don't over commit to all the banks. A lot of people, you know, borrow because they like one bank, they put all their investments into one lender rather than spreading their risk profile within ma many lenders and reducing the, the risk profile and, and the risk when the banks look at your portfolio and say, hey, you're holding too much debt with us. So inspired by Mir's story and his amazing aha moment, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on Property Investory where we'll find out his go-to resources. The ones I'd recommend are, are Magic of Thinking Big, Thinking Grow Rich, The Richest Man in Babylon, and The Alchemist. His success habits for property investing. Discipline, I think when it comes to finances, uh, being broke is also being disciplined. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening.